Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> right, let's go. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. Before we get started with the recording, I have a small announcement about the upcoming event in Malvern where I'll be interviewing guests for the podcast in front of a live audience as part of the Malvern Festival of Innovation and taking place on the afternoon of Wednesday the 6th of October at the Coach House Theatre. If you'd like to join as part of the audience, it's free to attend, but places are limited, so you'll need to register in advance if you go to ttc.festival-innovation.com which is a custom link for the podcast that'll take you to the booking page and I'll pop that in the show notes. The festival itself runs from the 4th to the 9th of October so um, check out some of the other events on the website while you're there. Okay, on to today's guest. <coughs> Excuse me. He's the founder of Small Biz Digital Media, a company that helps small businesses, particularly professional services, with their video and audio marketing. With a background in environmental sciences and years working within the Environment Agency, he transitioned to becoming self-employed as a marathon running coach, which led him to his current business. The focus is on helping his clients move prospects through the buyer journey using the three C's, connect, convince and convert. He has an extensive research background which he uses to find out what makes each business tick. He also applies his neuro-linguistic programming master practitioner skills to help businesses get their message across more effectively. He is Dr. Dave Bird. Hello, Dave. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Extremely well, thank you. And thank you Good. for that kind introduction. Uh, that's all right. No worries. Thanks for um, coming in. Um, good to see you. Seen you a lot on Zoom recently, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all Zoom junkies these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good to see you in real life. Right, um, before we get started, you're at smallbizdigitalmedia.com. Correct. And you've got a, a cool new website that everyone can go and check out and find out what you do with you on the front page uh, explaining it all. Yeah, I've given good. a bit of a personal story, which I always recommend people do um, to find out more about why you do what you do rather than just jumping straight into what you do. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's good. It works really well. I was looking at that. Because I, don't, I think the last time I looked at your website, that wasn't up yet, that video. No, I've, I've done quite a lot of work, as you'd expect, being in video myself, making sure there was lots of video content on there, yeah. but also a far better kind of user experience so people can find out how video and audio marketing can help them. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it. it looks really, uh, looks slick. But um, yeah, you say as you'd expect. I think for <laughs> for us, there's not enough video on the website because we never get around to making. You've done a good job recently of actually knuckling down and uh, well making some for yourself. Yeah, this will bring me on to one of my passions, music. And there's a brilliant Dylan line that says, uh, "I make shoes for everyone, even you, but I still walk barefoot." Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's a bit like that. You're you're so busy trying to serve your clients as well as you can, that at yeah. some point the shocking realization hits you <laughs> that you're not as you're not eating your own dog food, as I call it, and doing your own stuff. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? And then kind of yeah, and then you think, well, I need to show people by example what I'm doing, which is now what you've done, uh, which is really good. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much. That's yeah, all right. Um, cool. So. You grew up in Somerset, I think. Yeah, right? I, I grew up in a small town um, made famous by the Clark Shoe family, Street. Oh. And that's obviously close by to a far more mystical and famous town called Glastonbury, um, <laughs> which everybody in the world's probably heard of. And it was a wonderful place to grow up. And at a time, um, because, you know, I grew up well, I was born in, in the mid-60s and grew up, obviously, in the 70s. And it was very, very different to the world we're in now. Um, you were actually having to cope with being bored. You know, I was in a rural community <laughs> on the Somerset levels. There wasn't an awful lot to do. Yeah. And I guess what that has helped, um, if we're trying to apply it to what I do now, 
is it did allow you the time and the space for your imagination mm. um, to help you make best use of all that time and mm. um, reflect on things a little bit more um, compared with the frantic world we live in now. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's all right to get bored every now and again, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's quite good for you. <laughs> I've heard people say that, you know, with the kids, like, because people cram their, their schedules mm. so full with stuff, you know, like finish school and then you've got this club, that club, that club. Yeah. Actually, they just need a bit of time to, yeah, be, be bored for a minute. I'm a massive, even now, I'm a massive fan of allowing yourself downtime and almost scheduling in, even though this sounds a bit counterintuitive, some unproductive time right, where yeah. you're, you're basically saying to yourself, this this is like fallow, fallow, you know, to use a agricultural metaphor, this is fallow ground that doesn't mm. need any crop on it. You know, you yeah, can just yeah. do what you will do, you know. Yeah, I think that's a, a good shout. And uh, Alan Clark was on the show a while ago and he said that one thing he does is each morning he'll just sit and do nothing for like I think he said half an hour or something mm. and I've tried to do it a couple of times and it is actually really good <laughs> you just like sit there and let thoughts mm. come into your head and mm. it's sort of mm. uh, yeah it's quite quite mm. a powerful thing really isn't it because I am um, a transcendental meditator so I right. um, went through the initiation the full kind of Hindu preparation for it and I still meditate but the the absolute truth of meditation which a lot of people get wrong is I think if you go into it with the attitude a bit like what Alan was saying I guess that you're prepared for that to be a total waste of time for mm. 20 minutes mm. the, the beautiful irony of that is you often find <clears throat> that you have your best meditations if you go into it with a kind of um, modern times perspective that you've got to achieve, achieve some stillness yeah. <laughs> achieve some clarity have some long lost vision when you come out it never seems to go so well yeah yeah i can imagine yeah so, so sort of like not having the expectation not having any expectations of it mm other than giving yourself a bit of time. Almost even going further, almost going in, saying to yourself, this may well be a waste of time, but I don't care. Yeah, I've, I've got yeah. no concerns if it is a waste of time because getting back to the Allen point, just sitting there kind of doing nothing is, is a benefit in and mm. of itself when we pack so much else into the rest of what we do. Yeah, 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 no, it makes sense. Yeah, I think he, he was saying even... Doing meditating is doing something, <laughs> was his argument as well. So it's kind of like, but yeah, it's hard to just do nothing for a bit, isn't mm. it? But um, yeah, no, that's, that's good. You're, you're good at the whole like looking after yourself and uh, yeah, well being, to use the well -being. correct phrase. Well being is the modern <laughs> phrase. I don't think that was kicking around in the 70s, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, absolutely even now when we're all running these businesses and we've all could be doing 20 times more than what we do do one thing that i absolutely hardwire unless i'm ill or injured into every week is i do these four runs um mm -hmm. not competitively anymore but still pretty hardcore you know i live on the malvern hills mm -hmm. so or near the malvern hills in malvern so I'm running up to places like the Worcestershire Beacon, the Witch Cutting, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And I absolutely, it's going to take a lot for me not to do those sessions because they absolutely, even though I'm going up, they grind me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can imagine. That's, um, it's good to, to have that discipline as well and practice discipline, I suppose. Yeah, it's a lovely way also of um, structuring the day and, and in keeping with that doing nothing um, even though back in the day when I was a hardcore marathon runner and middle distance runner before that and I used technology and tech and stuff and put things into spreadsheets and Strava and all that kind <laughs> of stuff now I don't it's absolutely zero tech apart right. from the, the running shoes which are yeah. pretty pretty hardcore so I don't even this is anathema to even local runners so I'll whisper it. I don't wear a watch. Well, just go for it. 
That's nice. It's like a sense of freedom that comes yeah. with that, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, because you're right. Like, yeah, I, I think I've been guilty of that in the past when I've done cycling and things. You kind of start measuring everything, and mm. yeah, it kind of kills the fun of it, mm. really, doesn't it? In a way. Partly, I have to say, I feel using a golfing analogy that I'm back in the clubhouse. I don't really feel at my age there's anything I need to prove with it. So that gives me a kind of sense of freedom. But yeah. it's a new um, perspective on the same fairly simple activity running because getting back to the well-being, I get things out of running now that I didn't get. In fact, it was almost the opposite when I was competing because right. um, let's make no bones about it. There was pressure then. Um, yeah. I was a semi-professional runner and right. it was it was hard work. Whereas now... Um, it's it's an opportunity for, for, for relaxation and I actually do uh, mindful running. So I'm either concentrating on my breathing, which mm-hmm. going up onto the Worcestershire beacon is never going to be a problem hearing. <laughs> and, um, and I also, think I've heard you from Ledbury some mornings. <laughs> <laughs> and also um, footfall because yeah. particularly in some of those trails, um, now that autumn's coming and the leaves will be falling soon, you know, that lovely crunching noise in the woodlands and stuff is, is incredibly calming right, um, yeah, for the mind, yeah. you know, while you're doing exercise. Yeah, yeah. It's, I've never quite managed to get into running. Like, I've tried it a few times in my life. I've I? tried to encourage you. Yeah, you have, yeah. You, I will um, say that if you want that head-to-toe running technique makeover, it's there. It's right, there for okay. you. Because that's always a good start. I think a lot of people struggle um, right from the word go because their technique's all wrong. And although running is um, fairly simple, it's not so simple that there isn't technique involved. Right, okay, gotcha. There are a few, particularly ironically, not so much with the legs, but with the arm action, I would say... um, maybe 70-80% of the people that I coach for Mm. running technique get the arm action wrong. Oh, right, okay. I never even really thought about the arm action. (laughs) Nor do they. Okay. (laughs) All right, interesting. Okay, we'll have a chat about that afterwards. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. I've just joined the tennis club, Mm. so that's my new plan now is to get back into some tennis. You're reeling off all the sports I love. Let's not get <laughs> onto rugby because I don't love rugby. But <laughs> tennis, um, I getting back to the childhood days, tennis was a passion of mine. Was it, yeah. Um, back in the day. And um, yeah, I, I was very competitive with a old school friend. And we'd have this um, ongoing, we were even like doing five bar gates of who'd beaten who. And it right. was like, you know, <laughs> almost going off the sheet of A4. It just kept going it kind was, of It thing. was that yeah, competitive, yeah. yeah. Nice. And I have to say, um, this will timestamp this episode, but um, I'm just over the moon that that 18-year-old uh, British girl um, has got to the final of the US Open today. I think that's just a fantastic yeah, yeah. Uh, result. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? It's good. Cool. So... Um, well, well, one thing about all of that is that, like, occasionally you mention your age to me, like you did just now when we were doing the headshots, and I'm like, "What?" I always think of you about thirty years younger than that. Oh, you're <laughs> so. so kind. The checks in the post, <laughs> or maybe direct credit. But so it must be all the running and well-being that um, keeps you youthful. Yeah, I I do have to say that I always put my well-being, um, both mentally and physically very high up the agenda mm-hmm. and um, I think there is um, a mistake that people can make even if they're passionate about what they do and you know I'm very passionate about what I do but you have to be very careful particularly in our self-employed sort of lifestyle that the the so-called hobby that pays us doesn't end up being the hobby that consumes us mm-hmm. and, and takes mm-hmm. us over that edge mm-hmm. where friends and family you know, get annoyed with us and we find ourselves blurring the boundary between work, even if we're in the zone, because I, I get in the zone with the sort of stuff I do, and then having genuine downtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got to do one thing properly, haven't yeah. you, really, like, and focus and sort of be like, right, okay, now I'm home. Yeah. And focus on 
this yeah. stuff, you know, relaxing, whatever it is. And, and I kind of take this, because um, you and I have joked about this, um, I think I take the focus almost to a, a, a level where I worry that it's almost too focused sometimes because I'm a little bit different to a lot of folk. I know a lot of folk that are very good at this thing that I think might be a misnomer a little bit called multitasking, where yeah. they're able to do several things and I know it's a very popular thing to trot out that marketers do like multitask doing seven things at once and I just can't or won't maybe it won't do that Mm. and what I tend to do like you kindly mentioned the website that was like a project Mm. obviously I had client work and things that you know I also had to do but what I was able to do is block out the time to do that website work. At the moment, I'm blocking out time. Well, in fact, I've just finished a big project doing a lot of email marketing content, and then I'm going to go on very close to your world to master um, how to use some of these um, kind of uh, complicated cameras that I've got um, mm-hmm. properly for, for the kind of shoots I want to do. So I guess that is a little bit different um, in that... Um, I find I get real energy and focus and drive from 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 the one thing rather mm. than the seven things. No, I, I think that's the right way to go. Personally, oh. like I, I've said to you in the past, like I wish I was <laughs> more that way and stopped getting like distracted by mm. hundreds of different things. And like I think the ability to be able to do one task and one project and follow it all the way through mm. is like is really good. No, oh, thank you. Because thank you. like you know, when you get to the end of the year. Mm you'll have done 10 projects or something yeah. and you'll have 10, ama- 10 things with a very high standard in place in your yeah. business or, or life or whatever. Yeah. And whereas like people like myself will be like still flitting between <laughs> like 15 well, things I've, trying I've, to get them all done. I think so. you're being a little self-effacing. <laughs> if you're flitting, then you're flitting very efficiently and effectively. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah it always, you know, you're, it, the grass is always greener, isn't mm. it? I suppose that's the thing. Mm. And um, I always feel like you should be doing something a bit differently yeah but also I, d- I do think that the multitasking thing is a complete misnomer and yeah I, I, I think um, they say that like yeah you don't actually multitask you actually do one thing mm. and then you flip to the other thing briefly mm. and then you come back to that thing that I find it actually do multiple no, things and I find and I'm sure it's proven I've not looked at the science lately but I'm sure there's a huge um, uh, kind of loss of efficiency when you have to transition mm. and and the the subtlety of it is you often don't notice it you think you're being kind of super spontaneous yeah. and clever um, and smart doing these things but you know to build up that um, kind of focus and and being in the zone that you need for task c when you've already been on task a and b in the same hour even or something is something I find really hard yeah yeah they say that even about like notifications and stuff don't they Mm. like if you're in deep work yeah and a notification pings up and you just look up to look at it yeah apparently it can take you something like 15 20 minutes to get back into that same level of concentration that you're at yeah yeah on your work so um, well I've got a cunning plan with that I basically apart from the running which is all very kind of virtuous um my my very kind of tame little vice is I do like my coffee and I, I tend to leave the studio and go into town for my coffee breaks and I kind of store up all those kind of random notifications and right, texts yeah, yeah. and LinkedIn you know we're, we're both in LinkedIn groups and things all those kind of things tend to be um, kind of consumed and dealt with you know during that period yeah that's good that's good so I think that's a, that's a really good way of working I think Turn everything off and then have mm. your set times when you yeah. do it. Yeah, I shall. Uh, that's a good reminder. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and do that. <laughs> okay, so so young Dave was running about in Somerset, then getting a bit bored. But what else was he doing? Was he uh, good in good at school or? He was, was um, not as good as his far more accomplished sister, who went on to be a um, doctor. Well, I, I went on to become a doctor. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> um, but I always felt. Um, even when we're forced to go to Sunday school, I um, kind of rebelled by deliberately failing the scripture exams. And right. she went on to get distinctions and got called out in the um, Sunday school, whatever it was, assembly thing. Right. Um, okay. So, yeah. Um, but 
yeah, I wasn't too shabby. I, I got all the necessary grades. I went to university in Southampton, did environmental sciences, which you alluded mm. to in the um, in the in the start, and then went up to Hull um, to do a PhD in um, fish, fisheries ecology, and okay. that led me um, via a very interesting research council scholarship in China in Shanghai into working for the Environment Agency. Right, okay, okay. So um, what, where, where did you go to uni then before the PhD? Uh, that was Southampton. Ah, okay. Yeah, so okay. that was that was pretty um, pretty nice, you know, very close to the New Forest, which I absolutely mm-hmm. loved um, at the time, and I'm sure it still is. It was, it was a fantastic university city to be in. Um, yeah. It wasn't a million miles from home because... I have to make another confession apart from coffee to being a um, Bristol City supporter. So mm-hmm. I was often finding my way up to Bristol for the home games yeah, and, yeah. and that was great. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed my time down there. Yeah, yeah. OK. So uh, did you grow up in a sort of fairly religious kind of family then with Sunday school and stuff or was that just no, something that everyone no, did? No, they, they just wanted to get rid of us. My parents just Sunday. wanted to get rid of us <laughs> on a Sunday for a while and um, I used to tease my sister almost relentlessly so I think they wanted just a bit of peace and quiet on a Sunday right, morning okay. and uh, just get on with stuff. So yeah, I, no, we've, we're not, we're not, um, we're not secular but we weren't overtly religious either. Right, okay, gotcha. <coughs> okay, and what did your parents do when you were... Uh, my dad um, was an electronics engineer, okay. and he, I, I mentioned this in my marketing video at the f- on the website, is um, he actually wrote two very technical books that mm-hmm. have kind of drive, driven me forward because I felt they didn't get the, even though they were benchmarks for their um, subject area, they didn't get the recognition they deserved. And right. that's the kind of thing that you and I both know this um, start with the why, Simon Sinek, the, the why behind the what, and that's the kind of thing that I often call upon that drives me when I'm mm-hmm. helping small businesses, you know, because I tend to work with ones that I have a lot of respect for and I want them to, you know, get their message out there. So, mm-hmm. so that kind of drives me. And my mum, that's quite pertinent, actually, um, although a lot of the jobs she did were like secretarial with hotels and clerks, not surprisingly in street. I've just um, this week um, been kind of honoured to go down to um, Glastonbury and say a few words on her behalf because she's now sadly passed because she got a plaque unveiled right. for 45 years of voluntary work for Glastonbury Men Cup. So, oh, right. um, wow. so that was that was fantastic, quite <laughs> yeah. emotional, I have to say. But yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. She virtually um ran that organization doing the secretarial work um a lot of the organizing a lot of the charity um collections getting the placements for care organized all kinds of Mm -hmm. stuff and very unsung very unsung um heroine or hero um in that you know she we didn't really it's typical of both of them really we didn't properly realize the extent of what she did mm-hmm. until we've been speaking to these main cut people <laughs> and, and unraveling the sheer scale of all the things she did right okay yeah yeah it's funny that isn't it with your parents like you sometimes don't yeah quite know what they do mm. i'm sure like yeah it's probably saying my kids don't know actually what i do at work <laughs> really it's a random idea but yeah you don't kind of yeah, like you say, you don't really maybe appreciate it or understand. Not the full extent. You, you kind of get the strap line, don't you, to, to use a yeah. marketing phrase, but you don't see the the full description, you know. So when did it sort of occur to you that these books your dad wrote weren't getting the, 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 the recognition that they should have done? Um, fairly soon after they were published, if I'm being honest, because... When, when was that? Back in the back in the eighties, okay. and um, I realised I was old enough then to realise the sacrifice involved. Like we're in the days way before the technology we've got now. So my mum, I think it says on one of them, a Pat who typed, retyped, and double retyped <laughs> all the all the drafts. And bear in mind, this wasn't like 
um, like a story. You know, these had equations and complicated yeah. things you had to fiddle about with in complicated engineering speak. And, um, and yeah, it just um, disappointed me that there wasn't, um, uh, given all that effort, more of, a, more of a response. But when my dad sadly passed and we went to the um, funeral, obviously, um, several uh, people from Thorny MI, where I used to work, um, came up and said, we went to those original radar classes and they've basically um, launched our careers. They were, right. they were that good, you know, they weren't right. just... Um, so, yeah, it's that kind of bittersweet feeling that, that is always there yeah. with them, really. So do you think he had a marketing problem then? He wasn't the, he wasn't the best as I've kind of alluded to with both of them, neither of them were good at, um, they were both incredibly self-effacing, not very good at promoting themselves, mm-hmm. um, just doing the work and assuming that's good enough kind of thing. Um, right. So yeah, they're, they're, um, but you know, I think there were some issues with the publishers he used, I think they should have been more proactive or he should have yeah. got more people. It's difficult to say because it's a long time ago and obviously marketing has moved on a lot more now with Amazon and all the rest of it. But Yeah, so what do you think then? Like if you if you do something like that or any work that you do, like do you think if you do good enough work, eventually it will be recognised? Like if you're running a business, say, and mm. you're doing like really high quality work, eventually it will mm. be successful because just because you're doing hard work or do you think it's got to have the marketing side no, with I, it well? I think it's got to have the marketing side I think that's the lesson I've learned that um, taking the, the kind of other side there's a lot of what I call chicken korma bland mm. kind of work that um, because of excellent marketing behind it we've, we've all seen examples um, do a lot a lot better than maybe what the actual product or, or service is Mm-hmm. Um, compared with things that you know really are high quality um, that, that that don't do as well, and I think both you and I, one of the things that should drive us is to um, find the people that we know do great work and and get their head above the parapet, so to speak. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, but it's it's I guess maybe going back to to your dad and, and your mum, it's kind of. We're, we're brought up maybe more it feels like more in this country than maybe mm. other countries where mm. you know you're told not to shout about your accomplishments and yeah not to uh, show off and not to I definitely come from that background they yeah. they didn't like um, uh, either of us being kind of too show-offy about things and yet right. the irony is they always welcomed any of our achievements I remember them both coming you know I won the oval mile and I won the a big Cardiff BMC British Miler Club race in Cardiff, where there was actually commentary from um, I think it was Radio Bristol and Radio Wales covered it, and right. you know, they came and, and they were like obviously proud as punch yeah. for me winning those races. And yet, if I'd been kind of boasting about them independently, they would have reproached me for it. So, right. yeah. <laughs> well, why do you think that is? Why do you think we we have that thing of not being show-offy and stuff? Um, it just comes down to a, a value system, I think, where they valued um, being kind of good enough without having to um, kind of, you know, broadcast it from the, uh, from the, from the ramparts. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not just them, it's like virtually the whole country, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> We're all kind of... Uh, yeah. Uh, have a have a been brought up like that, or not necessarily even by parents, but just by yeah kind of you know society. Well, yeah. If you see and you and I, particularly you, um, mind that you know all the books and stuff you consume, I think we can both safely say that if you look at the average set of kind of marketing books that are across the pond, mm. um, and you've mentioned people like Grant Cardone, mm. Cardoni. Um, their approach to me always seems far more expressive <laughs> and out there and sometimes in your face yeah. than, than your average kind of um, British approach. I think that's a fair kind of 
yeah. average average kind of statement to make, isn't it? Yeah, and what I think what I never know with that is like, do we need to adjust that for a British audience, mm. or do we take what they're saying and kind mm. of go for it a bit more? I've got a theory on that. Um, I think the British audience need, because um, this comes back to my connect, convince, convert thing. I think British audiences, and again, I'm generalising, so apologies for that, but they need more warming up because they've got a higher BS um, kind of antenna waving. <laughs> and I think if you're, yeah, if you're going out there kind of full on straight away and they don't really know you, I think you um, risk getting ignored or, or even, you know, having um, not, not great feedback. Um, so right. I think we have to, over here, ease our way in a little bit more before we start singing our song more loudly. Right, OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so it does need a bit of a bit of altering from probably what some of those guys are yeah. saying. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a fair point. <laughs> okay, so um, so so what what made you decide to go and do a PhD up in Ol? It's very interesting. Um, I could give a kind of cutesy, long-term vision answer, but the truth, and I'm <laughs> risking getting slightly political here, but it's just fact, is we're in the middle of a recession in in the kind of Margaret Thatcher kind of era, and I was looking at jobs in my field, being paid about kind of five six k a year right um i know there's like the inflation thing to bear in mind but even yeah. then that wasn't much and there'd be like three thousand applicants and right. i was thinking this is not gonna work out well if i want to work in the environmental field which i mm -hmm. did i was passionate about it and that yeah. remained during my phd yeah and i didn't want to do what most of and i'm not blaming them but most of my um fellow students ended up going into banking or right, yeah. management or yeah. something like that. And I, I really, really wanted to do something environmental. So I was just kind of flicking through The Guardian and this um, post came up in the recruitment thing um, to do a PhD, you know, in, in fish fisheries ecology. And what really attracted me, because this is what led on to the China thing, is it already set up this possibility of doing a... British Council scholarship with travel and I thought wow this is amazing so again that wasn't like um, without its competition but yeah. I think what helped me because I'm passionate about sport is the um, supervisor um, Dr Ian Cakes is was the manager of um, Welsh hockey team at the time right. and him and I just hit it off talking about sport and he right. was very respectful of my running because this is when my running um, stuff was really taking off. And he was saying, look, you know, I'm going to let you pursue that. This is the benefit of a PhD. I'm not going to give you like a nine to five kind of thing. You can you can yeah. do your running, even go down to London for races or whatever. And um, we'll make it work. OK. All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's cool. OK. So, so you came out of your PhD, obviously. You, yeah, you passed because you got doctor in front of you now. <laughs> <laughs> no flies on me. Yeah. Uh, and what was what were your next moves then from that? Yeah, I, again, I I feel I was um, you know, this was quite um, fortunate. Um, my work was um, recognised by what was then the National Rivers Authority because I got some publications at the PhD, and I was actually headhunted to go down to Dorset for that national rivers authority because they were desperate and this kind of links to all the climate change that we're hearing so much about now mm. to do some low flow studies and right. what it was um and you know i'm so lucky i was able to do this um they needed um scientists to actually get in the streams with like snorkels and kind of right. dry suits and work out where these young salmon and trout were hanging out in these streams, um, okay. not, not just through idle curiosity, but to um, work out how they were responding to south-west um, water abstracting all the water out, you know, for domestic water consumption. Right. And okay. so what I had to do was um, 
is from all that snorkeling and, and kind of looking at the um, substrates and the flows and the depths and things where these fish were, is to come up with these um, complicated, um, what we call habitat suitability curves. And then they were kind of run on um, how those habitat uh, curves change with flows. And that was used in the public inquiry Mm -hmm. to actually get southwest water to reduce abstractions. Right, okay. Okay, cool. That sounds, uh, sounds fun. Mm. <laughs> it was fun, and it was, you know, like a lot of these things, it was a interesting um, experience for me, looking at the difference between, um, well, not so much the difference, but where science meets politics, mm -hmm. because you had the science that was pretty compelling, um, and then yeah. you had the politics of... People still need to drink water, and yeah, yeah. it wasn't just domestic. You know, people need to obviously, businesses need water for their um, manufacturing or whatever. So, um, you know, it was tricky I, one to navigate. Yeah, I got in, and <laughs> I remember, you know, getting some very black looks from the um, Southwest Water legal team going into that public inquiry and stuff, which was all part of the game. So, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you were with the Environment Agency for what twenty? Um, Something years. Well, we're talking 1990 to about 2014. Um, your maths is better than mine, but that kind That's of period. A long time, 24 yeah. years. Something. Yeah. So I started out doing the very lucky to be doing this applied research where I was actually getting out in the rivers and doing stuff. Like I said, mm. inevitably these things um, come to pass and ironically to to pay your mortgages a bit easier and stuff you you do less interesting work don't you and it ended <laughs> up being more office based um still important because i became a research manager and i was actually procuring environmental research projects you know quite big ones things like the water framework director for a lot of european work mm -hmm. um across the piece not just fish but um, flood defense um climate change mitigation adaptation you know water quality the whole the whole the whole thing and yeah. um and that's what i did for quite a while um and after a while the fact that i was there so long shows that i did get a lot out of it but after a while i actually yearned to have a bit of um direct control in mm -hmm. in, in what i was doing and right. with public sector i, I you'll probably get other people on who've been in it. You do feel, however senior you get, that you are a bit of a Russian doll inside of a Russian doll. Right, okay. And I just wanted a bit more autonomy, really. Okay, okay. So uh, so how did you make that transition then out of... Uh... Yeah, not not in the way that you'd think, given what I do <laughs> now. So, um, and this might be um, brave, it might be seen as a bit kind of foolish... And I certainly didn't do extensive research, but I um, was just um, ending my competitive running career, if you like. And mm -hmm. I'd just come third, actually, in the Edinburgh Marathon, right. um, which um, made me think that it would be useful to actually use that credibility um, to... Um, go quite specific run just being a, a general running coach to actually mm -hmm. do very marathon specific coaching right and so i set up a site that, that i still do because i still do this as a side hustle marathontimebreakthrough.com um but did that the, the slightly foolhardy bit i think in retrospect is i went straight from very comfortable salary pension all the rest of it into being a marathon running coach Right. Just like that, I just left. Well, I didn't just, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, yeah, I took yeah. a severance. You didn't sort of make sure there was like a comfort blanket there or anything. I didn't. Just went and for it. and uh, I, in in retrospect, I think that was a little bit overbold. But do you um, think it made you get on with it though? I mean, it did. Like, it certainly did. I certainly had to get that. Talking about websites, I had to get that website done pretty damn quick. Um, I had to um, have a system. Um, that was sort of scalable in that I wasn't just um, coaching people kind of locally, which is is a bit limiting in terms of number. I, I was it amuses me with all this um, kind of change to Zoom and Zoom being almost like a verb now because I was using Zoom <laughs> when you had to send people YouTube videos 
so they could learn how to get on it and <laughs> they had to download things on the computer and stuff and it was a bit right. of to be honest a barrier but that was so I you know I ended up coaching people in South Carolina and Johanna for some reason I got loads of South Africans people in Joburg <laughs> and Durban and places right okay. um, so, so it yeah. got pretty successful then it, right. yeah and even now um, it, like I say it's not my main business but I, not a month will go by. I, I tend to do something mm-hmm. a month on it. Right. Um, you know, I get. I did a technique session locally last week. I, I did a Zoom call with someone uh, about four or five weeks ago. So it's got a trickle without me really. Because yeah. again, getting back to the focus thing, I, I'd be lying if I say I do any um, preparatory work on it now. I just get people when they come. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool to have a little, uh, mm. have that going on its own. Yeah. On the side, yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice. Okay, so, right, so you left You left with a sudden <laughs> cut, <laughs> went into that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, so, so what happens, like, uh, is it right you were doing that for like sort of three years before you started Small Biz? Very, very good. I, th- I think it was three or four years, yeah, probably four years. And... Um, and so, yeah, the fact that I did it that long shows it was okay. But mm. um, what I found um, and it was that I was, um, I was sick and tired, if I'm being honest, of just saying the same old thing, um, even on these kind of Zoom calls about stuff that I would term as tactical that mm. basically applies to 90% of runners, like, you know, the different types of... Um, uh, phasing, for example, when you're preparing for a marathon, um, okay. you can say to any of them because you're not going to say Joe Bloggs. You've got a different set of phases to to Jane Doe. You know they're, mm. they're the same sequence of um, things you have to go through. And what I wanted to focus on more, particularly because I've probably come onto this, but you know I've done a lot of NLP and stuff, is more the the mindset, the personalised stuff mm. that's actually holding them back. Right, and okay. so <clears throat> the best way to do that um, I worked out was actually to create a load of video content mm-hmm. and to get that um, on a kind of um, I think they call them membership sites now but certainly mm-hmm. a kind of private area yeah. where it's not just on YouTube and anyone can kind of view it mm-hmm. and that was kind of part of the package where all the stuff like um general kind of technique and and you know what are the different types of session and all these quite generic things i just packaged up into a course i called marathon mastery and then the the upsell um was was the really bespoke coaching where they said oh you know i've I've missed a whole week dave does that mean i need to pull out of london and (laughs) kind of reassure them that um, there's a law called eighty twenty, and yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to do a hundred. If you if you do eighty percent, you're absolutely rocking and rolling. So don't worry about missing a week. And and these kind of things, because they're personal and they're feeding into people's anxiety and insecurities, they're far better done away from the kind of general material that was in that video course. But right. okay. the video material inspired me to go into what I'm doing now because. I'll be honest with you, um, that was B2C. And I was thinking, if this is kind of working for B2C, why not go to B2B mm-hmm. and offer this to small businesses um, who, if I'm being totally honest, you know, have a slightly larger or more consistent marketing budget mm. than, your, uh, than a consumer, obviously. Yeah. And um, yeah, that, that was the natural progression. Right, okay. So you had a go at it. You just kind of thought, right, I, I like this. <laughs> yeah. I like making videos and I can probably do this to help. That's the other thing I found, because not everybody does, but I found I actually loved making videos. I love the right. discipline, getting back to this focus thing. Yeah. I love the discipline and the kind of challenge of um, trying to get the key points over because it's different to like a book or... Um, long form kind of written content you you haven't got that luxury with attention spans and stuff you've got to get your point over but then you've got that additional aid that you've got the visual 
either moving or image-based to convey the point, particularly mm -hmm. with something practical like running. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was a godsend and I really took to it. Yeah, okay, cool. So then, so I, I guess at some point then you made the decision, did you, to say, right, I'm going to going to start doing this <laughs> yeah I, I looked at the um, I looked at the bank balance and I looked at the uh, <laughs> utility bills and things and I realized that um, the sensible balance because as I say it's not like I've ditched the marathon stuff but the sensible mm. balance is a bit like these degrees where people say I'm major in German but I'm minor in French or something you know I, I'm yeah. definitely majoring in a big way in in, in the small biz digital media stuff but with still an interest in the marathon coaching. Yeah, yeah, okay. But then how did you sort of, once you made that decision, how did you kind of, you know, start building up the, the small burst digital major? I mean... Not in the way you'd expect, steps. getting back to the eating my own, um, need to eat my own dog. You know, if I'd been super visionary and sensible, I would have, um, you know, got all those books out that you've got down there and, and <laughs> gone through and built marketing funnels and been incredibly systematic and it would have all been kind of video-based and stuff. But I wanted, um, I have this thing where sometimes, even though I'm an introvert and stuff, I, I like getting myself out of my comfort zone just to test myself. So mm -hmm. I did the sort of thing that... Um, in a way I was least comfortable about and I, I kind of went into networking and right. most of the early successes and, and reputation building, if you will, has actually been done through um, what was then, before the pandemic, um, off, offline networking, going to right, breakfast yeah. and that was a comfort zone because I'm awful in the mornings. I, I could <laughs> never, when I was training for marathons, and you were doing 70 miles a week. Somehow I had to get 70 miles a week done where I couldn't run before 11 o'clock. So, <laughs> so, you know, and so doing these blooming breakfast networking things is still a real challenge. And yeah, in fact, yeah. I try and get ones that are lunchtime or afternoon if I can. <laughs> not a morning person. I'm aw I, and I'm not just saying it, I am awful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> So, um, well, it's important to know when you're best, isn't it? When, yeah. You know, when's the best time of day? Cocadian right? rhythms, they call it, and I'm, I'm very um, aware of my own. Uh, but it works the other way. Um, a lot of people I know are just zonks. They're just done for by about seven, and they're kind of mm. with family or, like, you know, looking, scrolling through Netflix or something. I, I can quite happily be productive then. I'm not saying I am. I, in fact, these days I tend to stop by then, but... I can work through in the evenings if I want. That's your time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know I'm one of those people. By the evenings, I'm pretty much like, I'm better in the morning. I'd rather get up at like five and Well, there, you're, you're different to me work. on that then. Yeah, and work in the morning and then, yeah. um, then in the, in the so evening. People who get up and you'd think I'd, you know, relate to this, but obviously I don't from what I've just said. It's the people who tell me they get up and go for a run at five o'clock <laughs> and then do all these things. I, I just, you know, all admiration to them yeah i always think of runners as people that would get up early yeah. go yeah, for I'm, a run i'm a man of contradictions <laughs> should be a strap line <laughs> i like it okay so um you mentioned the nlp stuff and i know from you know having having chatted to you a lot over the last i don't know two years mm -hmm. <laughs> that that's that's obviously quite a big thing mm. of, what you do when did that start coming in and it started coming in nothing to do with the, the video um digital stuff although it's really helped that it started coming in because i felt i wanted to i saw with these marathon runners that um by and large the um barrier to their success particularly if i'm being honest i was coaching quite um, established runners I, I didn't tend to go for beginners they were right. people who wanted to get below three hours and, and things like that so right. I found with them that the barrier wasn't that they didn't know what a tempo run was or they didn't realize you've got to run more than 18 miles for your long run or something like that they, they mm. knew all that stuff and, and and more it was it was the mental side and mm. usually because it amuses me when we look at a lot of these um, self-help fitness things that 
the onus is always on procrastination and couch to 5k and you can do it just make one step it was the other way it was um uh i've got a term for it as ocd but like obsessive concern about distance like wanting, <laughs> wanting to run more and more and more and a lot of my um nlp was about um using nlp which is a fantastic um communication skill and and coaching skill to Mm. acquire to actually um to use an nlp term reframe their kind of perception about some of these things that they thought were helping them but were actually hindering them like overtraining and getting them to be more realistic just like that 80 20 thing i was on about as soon as you set them a schedule with like 16 weeks of training that because these were quite high-end could be up to like 60 70 miles a week in some cases there was this feeling they had to run every last yard of, of that um program and right, okay. i was trying to get across to them that this is like the ideal and there's some saying isn't there like with f- flying and i'll get i'll get it wrong but as soon as you start flying on a course you go wrong from the you know the moment the plane leaves the ground and you're always adjusting it's the same with, right. with marathon training right okay okay <clears throat> so, so it was so it really helped with that and then to complete the the question you've asked me the kind of serendipity if you like the happy accident was i've also found because one of the big things with what i do now is um well, one thing, still keeping with that, with the kind of mental confidence thing, is confidence in front of the camera. I mm-hmm. find it incredibly useful for right. pacing people when they're fearful about doing stuff, where they're either doing, or even audio. Some people don't even like this kind of thing if, yeah, if they're doing yeah, a voiceover yeah. because they think they're going to sound rubbish or whatever. Um, so yeah. it's incredibly helpful that. But because NLP is such a kind of rich suite of tools, um, one of the big things with me, and I'd like to say a bit of a USP, is the messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love, I absolutely love words and mm-hmm. language, and I love economy of language and the ability to get a video script down to the absolute bare essence mm-hmm. that conveys what you want and then let the visuals do their work and, and the audio right. without overwhelming people. And yeah. it's absolutely superb for that. Yeah, right, okay, okay, so it's... It's uh, yeah, something you learn in the marathon training, but it's kind yeah. of, I, I guess it's yeah, it's pretty yeah. much could be applied to anything in life almost, can't it? It could, uh, and and I can't deny I use it on myself a bit. I I sometimes have to manage my own. I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, you know, self-esteem and things like that is a mm. um, um, there's a Dylan line. You know, beauty walks a razor's edge. Well, I think you know, self-esteem walks a razor's edge. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and I find it helpful for my own um, peace of mind to constantly use some of these tools just to rein myself in sometimes. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know loads about, about it, uh, NLP, I have to admit. But. It can be a, a word of warning. It can be misapplied. So right. what I don't like, and it's the same with all these things, with people who've got no qualification in it and they'll read some you know what these things are like these kind of um clickbait sort of articles that mm-hmm. reference nlp and they'll like bring in one kind of a tiny little aspect of it and mm. it will be mis um misinformation sometimes or like mis- where you've got to mirror someone's movements oh, to make them start you th- doing thank what you, want you. Them I, I was thinking i've got to sh- i've got to give the <laughs> listeners an example and you've just done it for me imagine going on a date and being so um, obvious with your mirroring and what you do is you just look like a jerk instead of being an empathic lovely kind of date so yeah 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 okay yeah okay yeah and also, I, I always think it would be better if it was called something different as well I, I agree because I, I know you like me you're, you're very hot on naming things because it helps so much doesn't it um, getting people in and it sounds clunky and techy. It's the programming part. Programming, of it. It feels a bit like manipulative. You're trying to ma- manipulate people, which yeah. is not what it's yeah. about. Again, when it's misapplied, I'm not going to. I'm not here to be the um, the defence counsel for NLP. It is often um, shock horror um, misapplied by unscrupulous marketers 
oh, you know yeah. things like sales videos and uh, sales letters and selling stuff but luckily and I hope a lot of people because I've seen with me it doesn't work it does the opposite it puts me off because I can see oh. things like scarcity and urgency are, are kind of part of it yeah. and you can see when it's disingenuous when it isn't genuine <laughs> yeah. of, of the, there's obviously the thing where they're saying there's a scarcity on downloadable pdfs which is obviously crass but even more subtly <laughs> you can see where things aren't genuine urgency and spot them a mile off usually so. yeah yeah <clears throat> sure okay okay so um your business now mm. is uh feels like it's sort of uh quite I don't know, it's mature the right word, or like it has matured a lot in the last couple. Th- I, don't, I can't remember when I first met you, Dave. When was it? Like it three, was three years, years ago. ago. Three, you came along to. Three. We were doing. <laughs> Seems to be imprinted in your mind pretty strongly. Yeah, it was April know. the 7th. Three years. I remember the <laughs> what day. Did I say? I'm now going to tell the listeners a story. The sun just came. No. Yeah. Yeah, three years ago, was yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. At the uh, Morgan Hills Business yeah. Forum. Yeah. As it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's changed a lot since then. I think. Hasn't I'd, it? I'll be honest. It started out quite basic. It was basically um, taking um, a kind of business and finding, you know, really compelling images or stock footage about them, and then showcasing that business in quite short, what we call social short type videos, about a minute. And, mm-hmm. and just looking um, for different businesses that wanted to do that. And that's still fine. And that's, that's mm-hmm. now matured into something I call the one-minute video mm-hmm. that I do quite a lot of. But what I've managed to do now is um, create something that's more systematic because one of my passions that um, people around me a lot probably get bored of me saying, but hopefully some of the listeners are hearing this for the first time, is I've got this concept that is a very old one. I've not invented this, but I've adapted it called the buyer journey. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, um, you know, the number of times, and you must get this, that people say, Dave, I want a video. And it's <laughs> like, well, yeah. But one video, it's like one swallow isn't going to make a summer and one video won't cut it. So mm-hmm. it's it's trying to get people clear on what they want that, that video to do if, right, if they're yeah. only going to have one video but more ideally they're going to want some video content and it's following this buyer journey which I've simplified because I went over to the states and looked at a lot of these models and I know you've read loads of books on all these kind of things yourself and there was something over there that was like a 12-step um, buyer journey with like long words like the programming in NLP but like advocacy and things like this and right, I thought okay. like you did with the NLP thing that is not going to attract people because it's just too academic even though I am an academic so I thought let's just and you and I both know a colleague who's written a book that he mentions the power of three Dave Rogers and um, mm-hmm. uh, the power of three is very powerful things often come mm-hmm. in threes so to have the three C's so you connect with people who've never even heard of you and then you convince them that, you know, what you offer is real deal to actually help them before you ask them for any money or do anything like that. Mm-hmm. And only after you've earned that trust are you there to try and say, well, you know, um, can I convert you then into at least becoming a lead or, or even trying out some of my paid stuff? Mm-hmm. And I think that works a lot better. And in that way, answering your question, I think I've matured from I- ironically doing what I'm a bit sceptical when prospects come to me and, and just creating one video all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it looks like it's going well and it feels like you're on the sort of uh, verge of about to, I don't know, grow quite a lot more. Grow in a sense that I'm comfortable with because we've had this chat as well. I'm, I'm not interested in scaling in the sense of becoming large with staff and loads and loads of different services because I feel I offer enough services already but what I want to retain because it's another kind of core value is this kind of personal touch Mm -hmm. almost a bit like if you will like a kind of bit of a boutique kind of service where you know I'm I'm kind of offering quality um, 
over just um, churning out kind of quantity. That, that, that's the kind yeah. of approach. Yeah, okay, okay. So refining mm. your offering and then refining who yeah. you're And using things, uh, you know, hopefully a bit of a theme that's coming out is I'm trying to draw, you know, you, you very kindly kind of asked me about my past and kind of drawing out some of those lessons learned along the way, like the research side of it. I take... Um, possibly almost too much time given that we haven't done business at this time in researching um, the, the business that I'm going to have a, a strategy call with beforehand and things mm -hmm. like that and finding out where their online presence needs ramping up a bit that kind of thing yeah yeah nice cool cool well look we're um, just just at an hour would you believe it I can't, I can't <laughs> believe it I can't believe it <laughs> and um no, it's been very good. People can find you at smallbizdigitalmedia.com. Correct. And then on LinkedIn, yeah. Dr. Dave Bird is yeah. the best place to go. Yeah. Um, and connect with you on yeah. there. Exactly. And then you, you, can, you can convince them. <laughs> I'm sure they're already convinced. Thank you. Uh, from listening to all this. So, um, yeah, no, thanks very much for coming in. Really no appreciate it. And, no, it's, um, it's been a privilege being on here, and it's a, it's a great podcast. Thank you. Oh, cheers. I will uh, see you very soon. Okay. Cheers. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.